Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Saturday, not Sunday. November 2nd, not November 3rd. Right. This is episode 100. Yep. And, Dennis, it's been a pleasure. Yes, can we stop now? Can we finally retire? Sure, if you want. Well, no, we made made it. Whoever would have thought... I don't know. It wasn't wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard to do it. We just record every other week. Yeah. I mean, we could have done it a lot faster if we'd put out like two or three episodes a week. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we've made, I think we only ever really had one major exception. Nick Shell. When he was in town, we added an extra, we We basically had an extra episode for that one. We basically had one, uh, covered two in two weeks instead of one in two weeks. Right. It would have been basically what most people would consider just an extra bonus episode, but we don't do bonuses. No. Because then what happens with, and I remember this happened with Nate with Coast to Coast Pinball. It was, he had like weird, a couple weird exception bonus things. And then you count the number of episodes and you look at the episode numbers and you're like, these don't align. Right. Well, that's unacceptable. In the real world, numbers align. You know, there's a reconciliation <laughs> that must happen. It must be done. What happens, in your, what happens in your job if the numbers don't align, Tony? Good things? Oh, my numbers never match. Are, is that good? It's expected. It's expected. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe we should expect this of our of our brethren podcast and I our sister. If, if I bring a million gallons of water into the plant, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put out exactly a million gallons of water out the other side because you know there's evaporation and there's all sorts of yes. Stuff but the numbers on, know about they're that. close. They know about they're, those they're, things. They're in the realm. The only numbers I need to be exact are the ones that are uh, state mandated. Yes. They like to tell. They like to say what to do for the health and safety of all Kansans. For the health and safety of all Kansans and everyone downstream of us. Yes, yes, and everyone downstream. Very, very kind of you to be considerate to them mm-hmm. in particular. Because if it was just like Mississippi downstream, we'd probably dial that stuff back. So, oh, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, but since there's other people that we actually like, mm. yes. No offense to people. Shout out to all our listeners from Mississippi <laughs> who, who are no longer our listeners. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yes, welcome everyone to episode 100. Uh, we're not doing a lot, a, a lot of special stuff for the episode. We didn't, we didn't really get any questions in that I saw. Uh, of course, I didn't ask on air. I right. kind of threw it out on Facebook uh, a couple days later. And so what I do have is we're going to go through the regular segments like we normally would. And then we'll just kind of do an episode 100, just sort of discussion of the show, not analytic focused. We always go over the analytics. It usually takes like 10 minutes that we right. do in January every year. So we're not going to talk about that, but we'll talk about some of the highlights and lowlights of what we think in terms of having done this for so long now. Uh, in terms of introduction, uh, not a not a lot to really report at this time. I had to buy a new water heater yesterday. I saw that post. Yeah, it was a. It was. I went and was working from home, so I was doing laundry while I was in between my meetings. And I you saw, were on break. I was on break, and I saw that the water heater was leaking underneath not yeah. at the not at the connections so it's like okay well it was the one that came with the house so okay well we're well past that was a five-year warrantied water heater i've had it for 17 so <laughs> let's not let's not complain too much so i went and got that and it, i was surprised it was going to be same day but i apparently called them early and i just called home depot and said let's arrange for an install yeah so there are some things that need to be brought up to code anyway with it because they probably did it themselves when they put it in 
So, did you go tankless or did you stay with the tank? No, I did you? stay with the tank. I thought about tankless, uh, but I went and now they have self-cleaning tanks. I didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't either. Well, I didn't realize I was really supposed to be cleaning the last tank anyway. So, cause I never really knew anything about water heaters. Uh, yeah, now they have some where there's like a stick in the bottom that I guess just spins and it keeps the sediment churning so that when you have the hot water on, it just comes out as harder water and basically just gets the sediment out through the pipes instead of letting it sit in the bottom. You know what that so, sounds like to me? What? Something else to break. Yeah, That's what that yeah, sounds like to me. But nine year warranty on the ones with the self cleaning. And so anyway, you're right. It'll probably all break and I'll hate it. But that's just life. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, I actually, just before uh, going on air, we went on a little bit later than we were planning to. And that was- Like you put it on air. Like we're actually going, like we're, we're live streaming. We basically are, but, but just pre-recorded. <laughs> and pre-recorded live stream. It's still stream. the same amount of work. Almost. Pre-recorded before a live bowl of- Candy, candy yeah. From I, Halloween. The c- temperatures kept. I still had like fifteen trick or treaters, but I usually get more like twenty, yeah. low, twenty to low twenties. So, hang on. Well, maybe you gave out full size candy bars. Maybe I gave them the. Here's the thing. I lowered the bowl. I, I need to hold it up high because I'm like giving people. I I usually buy like a hundred dollars worth of candy. I give handfuls out. One of the kids. One of the kids who came by. He's a, I remember, he was a skeleton. That's all I remember. I just, I did that and he goes, that's what I'm talking about. They're like, you see, that's what, that's what they want. That's what they want. They want now, the candy. They do. Now it's like all M&Ms. So it's win-win because I don't want the M&Ms because I'm gonna, not going to eat them. So then they feel like they got a not reward. Not even peanut M&Ms? I mean, I make exceptions, but normally no. I would rather have. That's why the dots are in there now because I poured the dots into the candy bowl after I turned off the porch light. Oh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, and I still have one bag unopened. So otherwise, of dots? No, there. It's a mixed chocolate one. I just I couldn't get the dots in the bowl if I poured the other bag in as well. The other bag's got like Snickers and stuff. So let's talk about your diabetes. Yeah, no, let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about diabetes. Um. So anyway, the water heater is that, and then the uh, silver slugger I just sold. So they don't know when they can come pick it up, but they wanted to pay friends and family PayPal so that I take the ads down. So I was like, okay, we'll do that. Did you take the ads down? I did. That's what I was doing. That's why we're late now because (laughs) I had to go in the other room on my computer and try and remember where I had ads because as time went by, I finally put it on Craigslist. I waited, I waited a month. Yeah. Because I wanted to give it to like a pinball person first because there's less questions asked. Right. And so with this new, Sale, it was, okay, well, that, it's their first machine, so there are a lot of questions. So, which is fine. It's just, I crossed that bridge last. Yeah. You'd much rather just hand it out to somebody and say, here, you know your stuff. Yeah, yeah, Take they're like, out. oh yeah, I'm going to come, I've got the thing, I've got the straps, and I've got my own wrench. I mean, I, I'm, I've always helped load and everything right. is fine, but. Anyway, so I really thought Sharky's would go first. I think Sharky's was the best deal I listed, but and it's still here. It's still here. If I, you I, would like a Sharky shootout, I still get queries every week. But everyone either actually most of the time I don't even get people offering less. It's oh I'll be in touch and then and then nothing. Yeah, so I, I assume huh. they just change their mind or they lose my contact information. Very sad. It's, it's very sad. sad out there. It's so sad. So with all of that said, I think we should go ahead. And transition right into the pinball segment and get and I've get going. I've not been doing anything. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. I looked at your intro notes and all it said was the date. That's because that's all I ever put in my intro notes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so what have you been doing, Tony? 
You have a birthday thing tomorrow. Yes, that's why we're recording today. Uh, my oldest daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and we've been prepping for that. We had a game night last week that went all right. Uh, we played the newest Jackbox, mm-hmm. and like all Jackbox things, it's some of them are really awesome, and some of them are really, really bad. Did that newest one not have You Don't Know Jack? Oh. I didn't remember seeing it in the list. Is it the first one that has not had that trivia game? No, some of the other ones have not had that okay. trivia game. I didn't remember. Yeah, some of the other ones have not had it. Typically, the there's typically there's the one big one. They always have like either you don't know Jack or like Quiplash or this one in the slot where that would normally be had, had the murder mystery, right? Too. Which is yeah. like I like that one. Yeah, that one that one was a lot of fun. Uh, but other than that, we've just been doing with like you home repair stuff we actually had some um solder on some of the old copper pipes leading to our uh shower spring leak ah. since we rent i've not repaired it myself and it's just kind of patched while we wait for the plumber to come back from vacation so <laughs> okay interesting so so needless to say I'm not overly worried about it because we don't know how long it's been it's been that way. But if you would the hot water when the hot water is turned on, there's a pretty steady leak out of the inside the wall. So oh. yay. Yeah, I had that with one of my showers. And it wasn't a leak in the pipe, it was actually the uh the fixture itself. I couldn't and I kept repairing it and it would only hold for a little bit and it was shredding gaskets. And, oh, wow. And I finally, when I got the shower redone, I was like, tear open that wall. I want that piping checked and fixed. And there wasn't any like wood damage or anything, it turned out. But it was actually, I could see the water coming out of the drywall. And for a long time, I didn't, because as soon as I turned it off, I wouldn't see it. And it was only when the shower was on. So I never... I'd always just see there was a little bit of water on the floor if the shower had run for more than maybe six minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird. I Maybe it's leaking past the door. You know, I'm like, I don't know. I just wipe it up and leave it. And then finally I turned the shower on and was not and did not get in the shower. And then I saw it coming out of the wall. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, so the- I thought maybe it was a pipe leak. And they're like, no, your pipes were good. It was It was all at the fixture. Yeah, on this, it's, it's, I could see it, it. There's a, to get access to the piping, there's a little access point and it's covered by, by a thin wood veneer and it sprayed out enough that the wood veneer started to curl because it was so thin and so mm. light. It got wet and it, it got real nasty looking. So I pulled that off and, <laughs> oh, hey, look, there's a little spray of water coming out. So yeah, no, we got to get that fixed. But otherwise, things have been going pretty good all in all. Good. Work staying busy and and I have begun I'm not gonna talk about it in the video game section because I haven't played it enough, but I have purchased Xbox Game Pass for PC. Oh yes, that's right. To give it a try. It's totally because I wanna try the Xbox Game Pass on PC, because part of the reason I got the PS4 was because I could do the Xbox stuff on PC. That's yes. why I got a PS4. Right. It has nothing to do for the fact that I didn't want to deal with the Epic Game Store uh, and I wanted to play Outer Worlds, which is available mm. on Xbox Game Pass on PC. That was just a lovely, lovely bonus. That's a nice bonus. <laughs> and I've not finished that game yet, but that game is everything that makes Fallout 
Vegas fun. Oh, good. I've added it to my wish list of, of games to keep in mind in the future. Yeah, because I forgot it was come. It was coming out already. It, it, it it's a lot of fun, and it's got a quest system that is very nice for. Uh, I would like to say it's really nice for working adults because if you go away from it for the entire week, like I did, like when I came back, and the quest isn't just. Find Mr. Jacobs. It has a list of what you've done in the quest to now, like paragraphs mm. explaining what you've done in the quest to now and what you need to do and why you're doing it, which is awesome. Nice. So, other than that, we can move on now. Okay. Well, now we'll, I guess now we'll go to pinball if we still have anyone left from our water pipe discussion. Water pipes. So, We're speaking of, speaking of water, uh, we need, I need to wash away a prior statement, uh, regarding Celts, which we talked about last week, a little bit afterward, or two weeks ago, excuse me. Yes. We talked about it based off of what we saw at Expo. I couldn't remember the pricing and I said I thought it was around $6,000. That is not accurate. And actually, Rorden, who we've both met from Australia mm-hmm. at TPF, he, Wrote to me and said the price is fifty two fifty. So, at five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars, Tony, do you think Americans will buy this game? As you may recall, it's that single level. It had the scoop in the middle with the silver ball mania horseshoe around it. It also had a scoop in the upper right where there was a, believe, a full sized flipper on the left that could access that and some stand ups. It was very purple. I think it'll. I think it'll sell. I don't think it's going to sell Guardians of the Galaxy level sales. I don't think anything crazy like that. But I think it'll sell good enough, especially at that price point, to let them move forward with a game too. Okay. So does that mean you think it will sell more than Suncoast sold Cosmic Carnivals? Yes. Okay. Do you know how many Cosmic Carnivals sold? No. I don't either. It was under 100, though. Yeah. I think it was maybe seventy-ish. As long as 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 long as the gameplay on this is good at this price point, well, it is I'm, less than a Stern Pro at this price point. And as long as the gameplay, when you actually get into playing it, is good, I'm going to pull this out just out of thin air, four to five hundred probably at least. Really? Wow. I I would, not just I mean total. Okay. I believe I read in the with an interview with the the creator that. He indicated he would be thrilled if they were able to sell two fifty. I think they can get that without. A, I, I don't think that'll I, with the price point. I think will make it as long as the gameplay. The price good. point. The price point is excellent, and yeah, obviously we still don't fully know on the gameplay. I know some people. It sounds like have been impressed with the description of what the intent is with the code. I will say, I don't think this game sells a hundred. Really? Yes. And I will be, I would be impressed if it sold 150. I think the price is good, but I think the problem that Celts faces is there's so much competition at price points that are around it. So mm, that's got, a valid point. It's got an advantage in that this is less than a Stern Pro, but what, what's a Stern Pro to your door now? I don't know. We, we need to call Zach with flipping out, but I think for the average consumer who's not buying lots of games all the time, isn't an operator, has a deal, 56 to 5700 to your door. So basically $500 more than Celts gets you a Stern Pro. All right. Coupled with that though, 
all of the games that are out on the used market now because everyone's been making room for things like Jurassic Park and Willy Wonka and Elvira. And that's been going on for the last couple of years. So there's so much like new stuff also competing for people's dollars because you can already go and get Deadpools are around 5,000 bucks home use only. Uh, Monsters are five or, 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 yeah, five or more often probably under five for a pro version for a Monsters. These are games that aren't even two years old. And all of that's competing. All of that is code complete. And that's, that's a valid the, point that and, I hadn't considered. And so that's where I, I think if this had come out at this price point, like when America's Most Haunted was coming out, I think it had done far better. But I, now there's so many games that are seen as good. Look at how many of all these, the, the games that are coming out from Jersey Jack and Stern that within two months end up in the top 20 on Pinside. Now it used to be the top 20 was all Bally Williams and nothing could break through. And that's finally changing as mm-hmm. it should, because the development and advancement that we've seen in the hobby, it's better than it was in the nineties. And nostalgia just held the wall on that for so long, but you can only delude yourself so much into thinking that Monster Bash is better than everything that's been coming out. No. The only games that are better than everything that's been coming out are obviously uh, Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness. And so what would it... You know, <laughs> while we're here on Celts... What would it take... I wish I'm you just, can't camera the look on no, your face. <laughs> what would it take... I'm just curious. I'm curious now. Uh, and we, you know, context of Celts, which I, which you haven't played yet. Uh, yeah. What would it take to beat Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness for you, or is it just Im- just impossible? And we can just acknowledge that and move on. I don't think it's impossible, actually, because those games are shallow. They are. So they don't have depth, but they've got replayability. Yes, but what? So does Ghostbusters not have replayability? Does get- Dialed In not have replayability? No, not not in the same way. Not to me. What? Because I want uh, to know. Uh, I want to understand. Because I think Attack from Mars is the greatest game of the '90s. Well, the '90s are done, so I can right. always say that forever, and I know it's That's true. true. Here's my thing: I can sit down and feed a twenty dollar bill into an Attack from Mars if I could accept a twenty dollar bill and and be a happy man mm-hmm. with all of that. Brand new Jurassic Park. When I was at, when I was at Logan's playing the brand new Jurassic Park Premium, okay, I fed in like five six bucks and I won two free games, and I was ready to walk away like three games before I was done playing. Okay. I enjoyed it, but not in not in the same visceral way. And do you know what what element of Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness? Is providing the replayability. I think it's a combination of the the humor, the shots, the callouts. I just think it all blends together in just the perfect way that I can enjoy it more. So maybe the next Brian Eddy game will displace them completely and become the new number one. It could very well be, or not. And it could just be that I'm a fanboy. I mean, that's also a valid possibility. Maybe. But, 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 I mean, of all the games we've played, and there's games out there with good call-outs, but at the same time, they don't, their call-outs don't hit me the same way the call-outs from Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars. Right. Well. And the humor and the play, I don't know. I'm also crazy. There's less humor. There's less humor now, I would argue. But, I mean, 
So Deadpool went the humor route with its mm-hmm. callouts. And I, and I can feed large amounts of money into a Deadpool and be a happy man. But not medieval madness amounts. No. I I mean, that's the thing is, I have spent on the pinball arcade four and five hours straight only playing medieval or attack from mars okay. i fed i i won one day when i was off work when attack from mars was still at uh pizza west i went up and i was there for an hour and i didn't play any game except for attack from mars and i put thousands of games on attack from mars but i didn't have any interest in anything else hmm. okay so Kelts is probably not going to be the replacement for you for Attack from Mars. Probably not. Probably not. And actually, based on your... I think you're probably closer to right on the sales numbers than I am. Because I wasn't thinking about the used well, market. I, I was only thinking about new and I was thinking just MSRP. I wasn't thinking the real price. Well, and I, I think those. I think the 5250 will be the real price for, for Kelts. I mean, everybody else. Oh. Well, ever. I mean... Stern's the only one that sells under MSRP, to my knowledge. Right. And everyone but else. But everybody else is right. like $10,000. Yeah. yeah. So and what's been happening is it's getting easier and easier on Stern because the actual price has been moving closer and closer. They haven't been adjusting up the MSRP. Right. They've been adjusting up the actual. And so in reality, we're getting close to hitting that, hitting that spot where we'll finally move on. And, right. And have it equal, I think. Have, have I think. It, I think that's their intent. Have it be truth. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Which, for comparative purposes, makes life a little easier. It is a bit annoying uh, to have to go in and say, oh, yeah, I've got a uh, – got to remember to take $300 off of a premium. Right. To know it's real. To know it's real right. thing. Okay. Well, that so that's the update on Kilts. Uh, next item is there is a rumor. It's – now seen as a fairly substantiated rumor, but still a rumor nonetheless, that Stern Pinball does have the rights to do Stranger Things as a pinball machine. It's what I've assumed. Do you think it's a good idea? I've not seen Stranger Things, so I'm just curious. Do you think Stranger Things at this, I guess, do you think Stranger Things would be a good theme for pinball? And do you think that after season three is the time that you release a Stranger Things pinball machine? I think that Stranger Things is absolutely a good theme for pinball. I think that they might have been, you know, I like to say that I think that it might have been a better strike right after season one because season two and season three weren't as good as season one, in my opinion. But the fandom has gotten exponentially larger after season two and season three than it was after season one. Okay. It Because it went from a little niche thing to a much more mainstream thing. So that might help the actual sell some. I think that I'm not a marketing guru. I think that it, I think it would have been probably at its purest and its absolute best in my mind right after season one. But I think the sheer spread of the fandom now is large enough that it could be made up for from all the new interest that came from the later seasons. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I had a discussion about this topic uh, briefly with Zach Minnie on the This Week in Pinball podcast. And I was just kind of because I knew you'd seen the show, so I was mm-hmm. just kind of curious what. Ma, your, what your I, take I love was. the show. It's it, it's a very enjoyable show. It's one of my favorite shows that have come out in the last several years. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see because most of the time it seems the stern rumors come true. So yeah, it feels like. 
More often than not. Yes. So it's like the Stern rumors and the Jersey Jack rumors always seem to come true. Everything else, you never know. But, right. Uh, so speaking of not knowing, there's really not any other pinball news. So that's why I have those two fairly maybe esoteric. They're kind of, kind of light, kind of light. So I've, I've put in a, a, dis- a deep discussion. Not really, I don't call it a deep dive, but just sort of thought we should have a discussion about displays. I thought we can have a discussion. We, I don't think we, We've touched on displays before, but yeah. Kelts has and Kelts has a, a standard display, uh, and the and the display in the in the playfield. But it just got me thinking again. So. A standard display. What is a standard display? Uh, an LCD display okay. is what I mean. And so, and that's the thing. So, as those who are listening, if they've been around the hobby for a while, they're probably aware of this. But basically, credit is essentially given to Jersey Jack Pinball, and when they release their first game, Wizard of Oz with triggering the transition to LCD displays, because that was the innovation, if you want to call it an innovation, but it was the new feature that was really different from what people were used to seeing in pinball. We'd been living with the dot matrix display since 92, really. And other than the dot matrix displays shifting from plasma based to LED based, there wasn't really from from an artistic or visual standpoint, there wasn't really any improvement. So other than people got better at, you know, making good dot art. So now the LCDs are everywhere. It's essentially every single manufacturer that I know of has made the jump. I think the only one I wasn't sure of was home pin with Thunderbirds, but I think that even their new Chinese, did you, Oh, did you see that? The, the, their new, they've got uh the may zombie, the may vampire outfit thing going on. That's their theme is the hopping zombie from China. For their next game to target the Chinese market. So, I mean, okay. kudos to them for not doing Journey to the West. Like yeah. Everyone actually, does. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> so, that's the obvious. Well, I, I don't, I don't know if you, uh, I guess it depends if you like horror, if you'll want a bunch of hopping. Uh, I, I mentioned May because Tony and I, as mo- many of you have listened for a while now, we play Overwatch and there is a very famous, May is a Chinese character in the game, and one of her Halloween outfits that they gave her one year is as that hopping yeah. sort of zombie type. And she actually has an uh, emote where she holds her arms out and hops like how they're supposed to hop. That's why I was familiar with it. I don't actually know the history of all of Chinese folklore, but Overwatch educates me. So, yes. so anyway, so displays. So we've got these modern displays now, but... We're also seeing a lot of throwback layouts. We just talked about Celts earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. Total Nuclear Annihilation is seen as a throwback layout. Mafia was a throwback layout. Beatles is a repurposed layout, you know, restructured, refined, improved, but still a throwback layout, Sea Witch from Stern Electronics. So we've seen all of those coming out. So here's what I'm curious about. There clearly has been a market of varying degrees of success, obviously, for these single level layouts that are very reminiscent of the 80s or earlier because ramps really came into prominence in the late 80s kind of i kind of think of space shuttle well after space shuttle but i think space shuttle may have had one ramp i'm trying to remember exactly how it was constructed to do the shuttle shot but anyway but by the time we're in the 90s ramps are everywhere right you know t2 fan layout uh move forward from that point on and then every ever it's like everything had two ramps system 11s were laden with ramps and they were in the 80s is there a market to go backwards on the display from the lcd alphanumeric is where i'm kind of thinking sort of system 11 again and what 
I don't really mean necessarily even what the displays are made out of in terms of if they're, again, they'd probably be LED. And I know that the displays, like putting in four, four player, yeah, four player displays is probably more expensive than putting in an LCD. But what, what I'm getting at is you wouldn't have to program art assets if you go back to that. If you remember, the alphanumerics were mostly just text numbers and some really basic sure. image animation. Yeah. Well, like you've seen with Silver Slugger, the little baseball that, fly, you know, right. it's, a, it's a, oh, that's going across yeah. the screen. So do you think that people who, to varying degrees, have been interested in the classic style layouts and arguably also setting Celts aside, more classic style rules. Beatles isn't argued to be a really deep code game. TNA's rule set is very straightforward. And Mafia essentially played like an EM with a rule set of hurry-ups that was no more sophisticated than Hoops was from 91. So I'm curious if you if a price savings was with it, because you wouldn't have to pay for all these artists and programmers to code the screen, do you think the that the pinball market today would sustain having occasional games basically doing throwback displays and avoiding the the glitz and glamour of the LCD? No. I said a lot of words and you basically killed uh, with one word. So let's pretend you said yes. Why do you think so, Tony? Let's <laughs> let's back this up. Do I honestly believe that they the the pinball as it is now could survive or could sustain something like that like i said no but i wish it would because to me i find it an amazing thought i would like to see a game more akin to some of the older games i would even like to see a mod a very modern version of some of the older uh, solid state and electromechanicals even that it uses some of the newer technology that we have to give it some modernization while still being play wise and display wise a throwback. I would find it very interesting. I'd find it. I, I mean, if it was the right, if it was fun to play, I'd definitely find it fun because I like that kind of retro styling. One of the things on a game that I'm sure anybody who's been to a convention, I know we've seen it multiple times, is that Mirror Universe Star Trek, where he replaced the the old ones with the old display with uh, the Nixie tubes. Right. And it gives it a very special feel. And even with your replacement displays you just did on Firepower, it keeps the old feel and look with modern displays. I'm perfectly fine with stuff like that. I like on TNA that it has actual score displays up on it. I would like it. I just don't really think the hobby would survive it as anything more than a boutique style game. And I agree. As I was writing this up, because I wrote it because I thought I would really like to see, and I've often, and I've toyed with it several times, the idea of fully operatable, because to me, that's it's so important by the that's the issue with the Star Wars the pin is that potential buyers they're not turned off by the MDF cabinets right or playfield or that both slings fire at the same time when the ball hits. I don't think that's it. It's that it doesn't actually have a coin door. It can't actually be routed. So to them, that's the difference between a toy and a pinball machine. 
So, and I see you can roll your eyes at the I notion, did roll my but eyes. From a collector perspective, it's just a clear, it's just, it's an important difference. Right. It's where those that collect on the arcade side are like, mames don't count. True. They only count real stuff. Even though, logistically speaking, a mame makes so much better sense. We just can't mame pin- physical pinball machines. There's no practical way to do it because right. it's physical. But, you know, taking up a ton of space and buying a, a, uh, uh, Ms. Pac-Man and then having to buy a separate uh, Donkey Kong doesn't make a lot of sense to people when you can emulate accurately all of the displays and stuff with, within one cabinet. Right. So Now, I can see one of those things where, for, for me, with pinball, with arcade, I can see having a specific machine because it has specific meaning to you. Arcade cabinets. The only reason uh, the, there's only two arcade machines I would have, other than a main cabinet, and it's both because they have deep personal meaning to me mm-hmm. and nostalgia. I would have a, a, a set down Star Wars with the vector graphics because I remember when I was a kid, I would go to the arcade that was here in Olathe, right next to Godfather's Pizza. Almost every time I spent the night with my grandparents, we would go to Godfather's Pizza. We would have pizza, and then we'd go. And then we'd go over to the arcade, and Grandpa would sit there and talk to me and laugh while I sat and played that game. Mm-hmm. And that was part of our thing, right? And the other one is Burger Time, because Burger Time is a game that has a lot of meaning to me because it's one of the very first games I ever ever played. And it was the game that I remember the most playing with my dad and my mom. It's the one where we had the most stuff because neither of them really played much afterwards except for like Tetris and and a little bit of Mario. But we played Burger Time all the time. Right. So those games have, I can see that. But anything else? Main cabinet. I mean, and even those games on a main cabinet would be fine to me. But I can see getting those because they have a specific sure, special sure. Meeting. And and people have that with all sorts of stuff. Right. Where they go back and they get the their first motorcycle that they remember and they get the car that their dad used to have. And then they go and they get uh the boat. I don't know. I've never been a boat person, but but that happens with boats, I can tell. I can smell it. Yeah. I smell it. No, I, I maybe so possibly. That, yeah, maybe that, maybe that, not. That, 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 that falls under that that all falls under the three F rule. Mm. So but the uh, – so in this case, yeah, it's just – I was thinking about it because one of the things I've often wondered is about, you know, the concern is the rising prices. And that's almost inevitable because costs go up over time. Right. Labor costs go up. A lot of the pieces may go up. Some things go down, like going to the LCD display would make sense for saving money. But uh, that's where I've often wondered, well, if you could save on the labor and go with shallower games, that would allow you to have fully operatable by – the collector's definition, real pinball machines at a lower price point, kind of like what Kelts is trying to do. But what I can't ever get past is I think most collectors would say, but it's just not impressive enough anymore. They don't want to, what if I got a, the real game version down to the 4,000 that the, that the pin is going for? Or did they go down to, yeah, I think it was about 4,000 for Star Wars, the pin, but it's like, 
Then there'll be, it's still the same thing, especially when you look at the used market. Yeah, but for less than a thousand dollars more, I can have Deadpool and it will have right. display and it will have deep code or I can have Munsters and it'll have a, it'll have all these shots and it'll be by this famous designer and there'll be neat animation, or, you know, the displays from the show and is that's better than an alphanumeric. So yeah, I, so I, it's I, like, nah, I, it's an interesting idea to me, but I agree with you. I just don't think other than a handful of them that any company could, could really move a lot of units like that. And that's why I think Stern doesn't go back and vault their Stern Electronics games. Because if you were to truly vault them, uh, it would basically be doing those old displays with those old rules and those same old layouts. And it's hard for me to criticize it when I look at Beatles and it's like in every single way, it's better than Sea Witch. Mm-hmm. It's just better. It's well, good. it's better. Well, you're gonna, what are you going to argue? You, you, you might like the art on Sea Witch more. The sound was obnoxious. The scoring rules weren't as good. And the layout definitely was inferior. So I, I think I, in all of those ways, Beatles is superior. But at the same time, I think a non Beatles theme it would, for me personally, have been more interesting. Sure. But they can do that by re-releasing a re-theme. And let me do that. Retheming Beatles. That's the solution yeah. there is here. You made Beatles. It's way better than Sea Witch. Now just retheme it as Sea Witch 2.0 and give it a new art package. Let's, let, let's not get into that 2.0, 3.0 stuff. 2.0. That's got some bad juju on it mm. coming from the Bride of Pinbot 2.0 wow. and all that stuff. Hey, let, people let, love Bride of Pinbot 2.0. It was 3.0 where the 3.0, line was, getting that was crossed. Too far. That was a step too far. Oh, God, where they thought, hey, let's change Python's art. Well, that was the one thing people liked about Bride of Pinbot because it's not a very good game. So, right. So <laughs> it's like. But no, I, I think there's a spot in pinball fandom for this type of, de- uh, uh, of throwback stuff, but it's always going to be a pure home built machines. Or maybe small boutique where they make two or three machine type things. Mm. It, it's going to be designed specifically for certain people. I don't think it's going to have the kind of mass marketable saleability that would be required to have one of the big guys. To even have somebody like Spooky make it. Right. No. I think in terms of a savings, and most of the savings would have to be on development side is where I'm thinking. Labor side. And wh- how much that would translate into the game uh, is an enigma to me. But... If there was continue, if pinball continues to grow and the operator side of things is viable enough that you wanted a game that could be shallow because you were only targeting it to operators and not home collectors, there may be potential there for doing something that's like, this is as deep as a nineties game, but it's not what we do now with this intensive code team and a little, maybe more, a little more simplified. Like it's going to do movie clips. We're definitely not doing custom animation stuff. I could see that, but I don't think the market on the operator side is healthy enough to go that route. So I assume that's why they do not. But Well, and then that's a thought is, could they actually do this cheaper than doing an LCD display at this point? Well, the display cost itself, I think, for the LCD is cheaper than buying for LED, you know, multi-segment displays and doing that. Which is why I think most companies wouldn't bother from a hardware side. So you see, it's not on the BOM. It's on that when you put in LCD, people are expecting you to not just display player one, player two, player three, player four scores on the display. They're expecting you to actually fill it with something that's interesting. Right. And you have to hire people to do that. 
Whereas you don't really have to hire people to do that to display numerics. That's the, that was where my thought was when I wrote it up was coming from. Because, I mean, look at, uh, look at the LCD display on total nuclear annihilation. You could get rid of that from a gameplay perspective. It doesn't really show you very much. Right. It's actually, my understanding is it's supposed to be what that LCD is showing you. That's supposed to be what Scarlet sees on her wristband in the art. That's her display to show you what she was looking at. But it's got the score displays separate. So you don't really need, I mean, from a streaming standpoint, I actually like the LCD because it's easier. It's more legible to read the score on the LCD than those white displays wash out so bad on the, it's just a, it's just something I have to, the cameras get finicky with. Uh, but outside of that, it's like, I remember because when they when first year it was going into production, I wondered, would they get rid of the LCDs versus the white wood because just to say where they could, I thought they could to save money if that was the goal. But, you know, Spooky's price was still within where they were on other stuff, even with all the displays. So who knows? Okay, well, that was it for for pinball. So I know we have some stuff to talk about on video games. We do have some stuff to talk about on video games. Um, I guess we could start with a as we often do when it happens with the transition of virtual pinball, which is a video game. But it makes such a good transition. It does because we just finished talking about pinball overall, and that was we had an email i'm going to say his name wrong akos giorki he's with zen studios he wrote into us and asked us uh if we would like the uh universal monsters pack which is the pinball pack that has creature from the black lagoon and mm-hmm. monster bash which are two bally williams pinball machines that were actually made in the 90s right and it just recently came out so i think so basically for us to review right was my sense so I accepted, so we have been bought with table packs. So we 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 have been purchased with table right. packs, right? And so he sent you a code uh, for Steam to be able to play it, and he sent me a code for Xbox One, so yes. I'd be able to play it on that. I do not know if you have had a chance yet to play it or not. I have played a very little bit yesterday evening between watching BlizzCon stuff. Okay, uh, did you play both? I only played Monster Bash. Okay, and then. I got sidetracked with it up on the screen. So if you look at it, my playtime's like hours. You've played it for hours. But it, the actual time is because it was, it got minimized while I was playing around with something on one of my other monitors. And then I forgot about it. Okay. And it sat there. So I've played Monster Bash several times and that's about it. Well, and you've played Monster, now you've played, I know you've played it in person, but I think you've played it on the pinball arcade as well. Or have you not? I think so. Okay. Well, what'd you what'd you think of Zen's version of it? Did you play their arcadey version? Both. Okay, so you played the classic. I played the classic okay. also, and it felt good. My here's my 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 biggest issue had nothing to do with the game itself, and everything to do with the fact that I can't find my controller. Oh. So I was playing with the keyboard. Oh, oh no! Which made no, it no 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 li- yeah no 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 yeah. <laughs> Which was ergonomically not the best. But I, I remember doing that in the old days and I can't fathom doing it anymore. It's right. So no, weird. it's it's it, it was so weird. It was so so I wanted to make sure that is out there because any issues I had about the physics could completely be because mm. my brain was screwed up because I'm tapping the shift keys, 
Yeah, and right. everything. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, but all in all, I didn't have any big complaints about any of it. It shot good. I don't. It felt better than some of the other emulated pinball I've played, but not so much better than a lot of it that it'd be like, oh, this is that's totally different. It just some things came worked out. Felt like it worked better for me. The camera system felt like it worked better for me. The I think part of it's because I played a lot of Zen Pinball, so right, it felt like right. Zen Pinball with uh, some. Uh, it felt like Zen Pinball with a table I actually knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. I, I played both uh, over. I did a little bit this morning. I did a good chunk of last night, and I also played it one other night. I did both. I did both games. I uh, put most of the time in on Creature, actually. Um. I did try the classic modes with both, but I spent most of the time in the arcade versions. Mm-hmm. The classic modes, the physics did feel, I mean, the games felt more brutal because I think the physics felt more like actual physics. Right. I'd need more time to, to know for sure. I've heard some people, I don't know if the classic mode sets all the physics as quote unquote real as possible or not. Cause I've seen people discussing on Pinside, for example, how to go in and further refine it. But like you don't get the ball trail and stuff when you're in the classic mode. It, it's it's very clean. Yeah, and it felt really really responsive. Uh, pinball arcade. I I mostly play pinball arcade on PC. Right, I have it for Xbox, but I mostly play it on PC. Um, this felt better than that. Yeah, I can say that. Like even the arcade version felt better to me, and I, I like the physics okay with pinball. Arcade. It's not awful, but it's just. You, the age shows versus right. what this was like. Now, I did spend most of the time with the arcade mode, and I was really working on Creature because I was trying to get my achievement, and I didn't get it. Because you are an achievement hound. I try not to be anymore, but sometimes I'm like, no, I need to do that to prove that I'm awesome. And I just, I still haven't gotten either one. Like, I thought, like, the achievement for the Monster Bash one I thought was to get two Monsters of Rock, and, mm-hmm. which I thought I did. But I didn't get the achievement. See, um, I didn't even look at the achievements. You gotta look so you know. I know I haven't done the creature. Well, I thought I almost had the creature one. Uh, I, yeah, it's you gotta go into multi ball, find the girl, and get the jackpot. And I don't think I got the jackpot. Uh. I, I got in the multi because I'm, I'm getting my butt kicked in the in the uh, multi ball itself. Now it's really not what I do like is when you're in the arcade mode on the controller, you can just go and you can just hit. On Xbox controls, the B button. Just hit the B button, and you can either turn on and off. It's just a toggle of the extra effects. So if like things are too busy and it's confusing you, or you don't like it at certain points, you can turn it off. Yeah, and you just hit the button again, and it'll just repopulate it with all the like the animation of the creature swimming around in the hologram. It's really cool looking. Um, but like when I'm up in the top lanes trying to spell paid. And there's the pop bumpers and I'm trying to get the feeds and, and lane change. Mm-hmm. It's harder for me to see when they're putting the coin. They put coins floating up above it uh, to signify that you're getting paid or you're completing paid. So I like to turn that off when I'm trying to get my lane change right. So I can just tap the button. I don't have to play one way or the other. I can just alternate. And be which like, is a very nice feature. Which is nice. Um, one of the things I'm doing different – historically when I play virtual pinball, I've always gone with a locked zoomed out view. Yeah. Where the ball is very, very small, but I can see everything. I've been trying to transition into playing more 
where I can see the ball closer and let it pan and not get like motion sick. So I've been, and that's view seven is the one I've been using, uh, for these. So it's like when I'm in the lower third, it's steady. But then if I go up top, it, it goes up and I, I've been doing so all I right. I played with locked right. view. And so I unlocked and I liked how I felt like I was making my shots better because things weren't so zoomed out, mm-hmm. uh, which was helpful. However, uh, on creature, I do, I do have a complaint about that. And that was when I'm on view seven, the way Creature of the Black Lagoon works for those who have not played the game is you have to collect these letters in film and then you lock a ball and you have two, there's no auto plunge on Creature. So you lock a ball either in the kiss shot on the far left or the slide shot on the far right. And then a ball is put in the plunger lane and you can plunge. You can plunge into the top lanes or you can plunge full around and it comes out the left orbit. Mm-hmm. With that, at least that view mode, I didn't test a bunch of, the, I ultimately started doing this law. I'd go and then there's another button. You can push your, uh, X button and you can change your views at will. So I had to start doing that because on view seven, when I plunge, especially if I plunge on the top lanes, which I like to do in multi ball because it buys me time, the ball is released for the ball I locked and it's not panned down to the flipper where that ball goes. So oh. I'm stuck looking up top and I am having to flip blind. I'm not allowed to see my ball. Once a little bit of time passes, it then seems to realize this and then always make sure that I'm able to see the flippers early <laughs> where with the ball. But before then, at the start of that multi-ball, it doesn't. So it's either if I keep it in that view mode, I had to either full plunge just so I can get the camera back around in time before the ball's released. Because if it's the kiss shot, it's going to release right at that right flipper. Correct. The slide shot goes around and buys a little more time, but I typically lock and kiss because it's an easier lock. Or I have to zoom back out ahead of time before I do the plunge. So that's a problem. Because I shouldn't have to change you the have view to, change, yeah, to save the ball. You would think so, it would just automatically right, jump right. to the right and spot. And it's only at the start of the multi-ball. Once, once about two seconds has passed, and once I get the flip off on the, on the ball that's on the lower part of the playfield that it already locked, it seems to understand from that point on. But anyway, there's the one thing I ran into. So hmm. I lost a number of multi-balls because of that and I wasn't I was confused at first and I realized oh it's releasing the ball before it's showing me it's released it and that's why I'm failing because it's still up top where I've plunged trying to show me my skill shots right so that's the one that's the one thing I haven't liked so far yeah I've not played enough to have found anything like that I've already earned table mastery on creature it's like you have mastered this table like yeah I still have my achievement because I keep losing my (laughs) multi-ball next video game topic this is a different one for we don't we have before, but we very rarely touch on arcade games. Yeah, because I, I mean, there's not a lot of at least I don't go to a lot of arcades with actual arcade games, and I don't really play a lot of arcade games. Yeah, so we had uh, someone Lewis uh, Lucas Pepke wrote in to us and asked if what our thoughts were on the Raw Thrills arcade game called The Walking Dead Arcade, mm-hmm. and. I have a link in the show. I think this, I think this is him. I think he does, I think he does bumper nets. I'm not sure. The person's name was Lucas and he looked kind of like Lucas. So anyway, but I have a link in the show notes to the bumper nets video on YouTube showing a playthrough of one of the chapters of The Walking Dead. Arcade. Right. You've played this before. I played this. I have game. not. I, I, I've played this and cause I, 
They, they have this and the Jurassic Park game at Logan Arcade, and I played both of them. Okay. What'd you think of it then? Because you have hands-on experience. For the type of game it is, that kind of on-rails shooter game. Yeah, on-rails shooter. It's very enjoyable. I would say I preferred The Walking Dead of the Jurassic Park one. Okay. straight out of the gate, I thought The Walking Dead one was more fun. Um, I would put, I would rank it fairly high in that kind of on-rail shooter type thing. But I still think my favorite of the on-rail shooters are the Time Crisis games with the duck mechanic and with the foot pedal. They've got the ah, foot pedal when you right, s- to stomp right. for the duck mechanic and all that. I like those, I like those games a lot. More than like there's the, what is it, the dark silhouette ones, which is the sniper one. And the, there, there's a whole bunch of them. But of those games, I like the Time Crisis games, I think, the best. But this is, for a much more modern version of the game, a lot of fun. Um, it's weird to me because it uses a crossbow mechanic, but you don't have to reload the crossbow every shot, which. Yes. I, and I saw that in I his just, video. It, I, I it has a cool, it has a cool reload it. feature. But the cool but reload, the, the reload thing is cool. But it's I a just, semi-auto crossbow. Right. And, and maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's a setting that I could have picked when I started the game that would let, force me to reload every shot, which would make the game way harder, but I think would also be more interesting. Uh, but I only played, I played through the first level, which is the, the video clip it looked like was the ones from the first level. Yeah. I think he chose chapter one. Chapter one. Yeah. And, and that's all I played was chapter one. I played multiple parts of chapter one, but I only played chapter the, the, that, in that, that part. I didn't jump around to a lot of other stuff, but all, no, it's a fun game. It's got a near, the way it handles the source material and the whole zombies and, you know, headshots. And it, when you miss and you get a shoulder shot and it's still coming for you, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, how would you compare it to, uh, uh, much earlier, though, I think same basic engine that Raw Thrills did, Alien, the Alien Armageddon game, because you and I both played through and won that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about how many twenties that. Took. No, we won't. We won't discuss that. Uh, so, where would you rank it with with that one? Because that's the one of Raw Thrills that I have played. I think it's better. That was my vibe from the video. What I liked, what I saw in the video, because as I noted, I have not played the game myself. What I liked about it was the. Granted, you don't have to do it every shot, but the crossbow reload mechanic was was cool. It's, it, was cool. It's cool. it was a clever toy. But what I liked was in that chapter going through, there were a lot of other with with Alien. I just remember most of the time it was just basically you know what a lot of light gun games are: lots of swarms of enemies, and you're just trying to hit them all. Right. There were a lot of segments in this where you had to not hit the survivor and try and save them from the walker which was nice. You had to go for headshots, which was different than what the aliens required you to do. You had a lot of instances where you were in the dark and so more atmospheric where it's like, oh, a lot of sort of the rapid turns, jump scare-esque. Oh, look, now all of a sudden something's on you because there's zombies and they're just coming up on you. It had a few different weapon elements, periods where you would lose the crossbow and have to use something like a wrench right. or uh, shooting for exploding barrels. Uh an armored zombie, I remember. So you had to ba- bash their police riot helmet off first, sort of. So it felt like there was a lot of diversity, even with the quote-unquote common mobs. Whereas with Alien, it was always like drone, drone, drone. Right. Drone. And then you have bosses. Right. And 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 that that's a very valid point. And it was one of those things that, and I think that's part of why I liked 
Walking Dead more than Jurassic Park is because Jurassic Park, I, it felt like I was constantly getting, oh, now you've got a spread gun, now you've got a laser gun, or, or uh, now you've got a flamethrower, now you've got this super fast machine gun, all these different like weapon upgrades, but it didn't have the same visceral mm-hmm. kind of buy-in, and it didn't get have the same kind of atmospheric uh, touch. That yeah. that Walking Dead. Yeah, and it, and it didn't hurt that Walking Dead's playing the Walking Dead TV show theme while you're going through. And yeah. that is a creepy theme. It is. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was very much a, a... Atmospherically, I think that's what makes it. Because in the, the Aliens game, atmospherically, it didn't feel as much like Aliens... Uh, I mean, I didn't expect to feel like Alien, because, you know, Alien is that kind of dark right, right. horror thing. But even then, it didn't feel as much like Aliens. It felt more like I was playing, like, Commando. Alien Colonial Marine. Right. <laughs> Where it's just, it's like Alien the Planet. Yeah. Clean this planet out of the, it's Starship Troopers. Yeah. That, Clean that, the bugs out. That, that's what it felt like. But no, definitely, The Walking Dead is very atmospheric. It's very, very much a game that made it more... Uh, interesting for your actual inter- interactions mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah. I wish I'd had somebody else playing with me. Uh, that I think the two player on that could be really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, I know you've got a lot of notes taken because you have been watching BlizzCon closely, so closely that you've even let your monster bash sit for hours. Yeah. We'll start since we talked last time about BlizzCon about the protest. And honestly, there's been protesters. Yes. There's been a fairly large number of A lot protesters. of Winnie the Pooh sightings, I've heard. Lots of Winnie the Pooh sightings. And Blizzard, I think, has been handling it really well. There's not been, you know, big, oh, you can't come in and you're kicked out and you're this and that. But at the same time, I haven't seen anybody attempting to do major internal disruptions either. Right. Well, uh, it no, sounds I'm, like I'm, they, they opened early on with an, with an apology. I mean, they, 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 that was their, they opened straight up with an apology. And you can take an apology from a major corporation how you will. Yes. I will say I've heard apologies that sounded much worse. Than that apology. Yes. I think what I thought worked with it is because there's almost this instinct. And I know some people subscribe to this as a theory that you should never apologize. um, That I I guess they think it shows some sort of weakness or something. I don't know how you I don't know how that resolves when you do something that's a mistake. Right. uh, I had someone ask me. Actually, I, I remember once I did something at work and I said, Oh yeah, I just, someone was upset about something. So I just apologized. And the person asked me, but why would you apologize for that? That wasn't, that wasn't your fault. And I think my response was sometimes it's just easier to just say sorry and move on instead of like fighting about it. Because my goal is not to have conflict. My goal is to move. Like I'm trying to accomplish something. This conflict is in the way. So you know, and you can debate whether or not you should, when you should or should not apologize. But they, in this case, I think it was smart because they went in and they said that they got it wrong. Right. And that's been the thing that they've been bungling for most of this period has been the whole fallout on the punishing of the Hearthstone player. And then they take back part of the punishment. And then there were other tangential punishments, like with the casters who were doing the interview. And it's like, yeah. So acknowledging that that definitely, because I don't think, regardless of where you fall on this, it's, I think, universally safe to say Blizzard did not handle that as well as right. they could have. 
So it's a safe thing to apologize about. Yeah, and and even during his apology, he flat out said they responded initially too quickly, and then they took too long to decide they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Is one of the things yes. he said. Now so I do. That's know, probably helped. I think. I'm. I'm. I'm not positive. I didn't see it, but I'm pretty sure from everything I've read, and because I've not seen anything from it, that they didn't run their their normal Q and A event this year. Ah, okay. Which makes total sense in this situation. But I've also seen pictures from the floor of BlizzCon where people had, you know, Winnie the Pooh backpacks and stuffed Winnie the Poohs on them and stuff uh, hanging off them. So they're obviously not pulling people out and throwing them out. Right. For dressing as protesters. Um, Now, the other thing that I think can help with an apology is if you announce a bunch of games that aren't phone games that people have been waiting for. So has that been happening, Tony? That they hit that pretty hard. Yes. I think, I think. In my personal opinion, I think some of these games are not necessarily ready for an actual announcement. Mm, but maybe it's like, yeah, but we better. Specifically, from what I've seen, and I've not, I've not read everything that's come out about it yet, but from what I've seen and from what I have, um, the Diablo 4 announcement is purely trying to make up for last year. Because from everything I've seen and everything I've heard, that game ain't coming in 20. Mm. I could be wrong, but the few gameplay chunks they've shown and everything I've seen, I think that's a 21 game. Okay. I don't think, I don't think they're there yet. Uh, they said they've been working on it. They were working on it before last year, but I don't think it's there yet. I could be completely wrong, but, and they might have made an announcement that says I'm wrong, but it doesn't look like it. The cinematic for it was really cool. But Blizzard cinematics are always really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that they are going for, or they're saying, they've said they're aiming for more of the darker tone that some of the, that, that you know, like Diablo 2 had a much darker tone. Yes, yeah. They're going back to that. Okay. Uh, well, to, Diablo 2 is generally most people's favorite who have played a lot of the series. Right. It's my favorite. Um, but I think that's good. They're much more of their, 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 with the taking Diablo back to its roots of the, I mean, very occult, lots more gore, more, less of the, they're getting away from what Diablo 3 was. Okay. It basically sounds like they're going for the kind of story beats from Diablo 2 with the refined combat system that was in Diablo 3. Diablo 3's combat system was very good. Yes. It's had a lot of praise. Everything else, it wasn't as good. Mm. But the the actual combat system's great. So if they can combine that with the more interesting stuff that was available in, you know, the first Diablo and Diablo 2, that's a good thing. Yes. So we'll see where that comes out. Um, they also announced a new Hearthstone expansion. And uh, Hearthstone has expansions all the time. Yeah, I... I- uh, put that on my phone a couple months ago and played it for a couple weeks, and then I was kind of like, eh, I felt it was so, it's sort of grindy in a way. It is. That I it's, was like, I, I don't want to invest the time, so I uninstalled it. I played it the same way. I played it for a while, and it's like, I don't want to spend this kind of money on it's it. It's like, oh, I got to do all this stuff for dailies if I don't want to spend money, and it's right. just, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. lot. It was more than I, it was more than I was willing to, to do myself. Uh, they announced a new expansion for, World of Warcraft. Yep. And this is the 
15 year anniversary of World of Warcraft. Hmm. Uh, and with this new expansion, they are going to the afterlife. So. Yay, zombies. Yeah. I was, I played in Undead. Yeah. So I was already in the afterlife when I played. Exactly. <laughs> you prefer rotten fish or yes. dead squirrel? Yes. <laughs> I was more of an aquatic feeder. <laughs> you had your odorant. So, uh, but I think for you and me, the major announcement is Overwatch 2. Yes. And that might be why I've added in the show notes a link to the cinematic announcement and also uh, the gameplay trailer. Yeah. For people to watch. Because you should watch it because you should play Overwatch. You should. Because Overwatch is great. Yes. Because Overwatch stands for and defends the oppressed. That's right. Including Winnie the Poohs. That's that's actually one of the protesters uh, that I saw pictures uh, a picture of. Had a sign that said exactly that. Overwatch stands for four and defends the oppressed. Will you, Blizzard? Oh. So, hey, well, to their credit, May's in their cinematic. May, May features very heavily in the That's cinematic. That's right. I think the first thing anyone who knows anything about Overwatch will notice is there has been an art change. Yes. I like uh, it. Yeah, I don't mind it. Uh, there's just little things. I know there's a lot of... It's online and it's art, so there's going to be a lot of yeah. That's that's it's fine. People it, are going to it's subjective, so people yeah, are it's very subjective. I think it's fine. Um, some of the stuff I've seen people throw out there, it's kind of nitpicky, and you also got to figure this is mm, this. I don't know how finished the art is. They might make still be making tweaks to the art. We'll see. Uh, but the big important thing, and what is really weird, is this is officially Overwatch Two. Yes, but. But we don't want to split, we don't, we, but we can't split the player base on the PvP side, so not. Right. It feels like an expansion. Yes. Yes. I And agree. it's going to feel like an expansion with the, if the rumors are true, a $60 price tag. And that's the part that might stick for some people because, uh, I mean, the, one of the initial reactions, and this didn't surprise me, but what I saw online with when the trailers hit was, this is everything that we, but that I expected Overwatch to have come with. Like, this is Overwatch with PvE and PvP. It's got co-op and all that. It's like, this is what the full game should have been. Right. So why is this not just an expansion at a lower price point? Especially considering the fact that all of the new maps, all of the new heroes, and all of the PvP stuff is going to be available to people who already own Overwatch 1 for free. It's just part of the game. Yep. So basically, Overwatch 2 is, do you want the single and co-op player experience? That's what you're buying for 60. Yeah. That's it. Uh, the From everything I've seen, it's going to be an eventual shift to the point where the client is just the Overwatch 2 client. Even for Overwatch 1 right. players, they just won't have access to... The PVE content. Right. But they'll have all... And for them not wanting to split the player base, for them not wanting to pull the Halo mistakes where they released map packs so they split their player base. Yeah, those were big mistakes. And not wanting to, you know, do the Call of Duty things where they release new games and split their player base. Uh, from that side of things, this is a wonderful idea. Yeah, I mean, other than the uh, the cost, which... We I don't understand. know for sure yet. Wait, and we don't know yet. Um, I mean, other than that aspect of it, it's, it's reasonable. It's been years since Overwatch came out. 
Mm-hmm. The you you you've built an esport around it, so you definitely can't afford to be severing your player base apart. Um, because people like me that would be inclined to get Overwatch two, it would be very difficult for me to want to put Overwatch one back in. To it's like what do you, what what do you do? And they so they've gone this route where Overwatch two, when you go in, all your skins and stuff you've earned in Overwatch one are carrying over. So that. So they're trying to accommodate as much as possible with that and still let the people play in the same PvP sandbox together, which mm-hmm. I think is important. And I think where the pricing may be, may be able to get away with it is, unlike if this was, let's say, Call of Duty came out and it was just the single-player experience, an 8 to 10 to generously 12-hour campaign, they are really emphasizing that this co-op stuff in particular is designed to be highly replayable, this clearly has RPG elements to it because you're leveling up and unlocking features for the characters. So they're going a route where this should be more than 10 hours of non-PVP play. Right. And for the PvE, they did a big push at the exact time the announcement started. They uh, paid for streamers, uh, popular Overwatch streamers, to immediately go into the game and start playing on their um, stage build, the PVE, and then segue into PVP. Uh, and they were it was um, Siegel, Fran, XQC, Toxic. and Stylosa, I think. I don't know him. Uh, Fran and Siegel, very fan. I know XQC, too. I used to yeah. follow his channel, but he's so toxic, I had yeah. to stop. Yeah, no, I, I, I follow Fran and... and Seagull. Seagull's one of the, probably the Overwatch players. Yeah, yeah, everyone likes Seagull. Yeah, Seagull's, I think, the Overwatch person I've watched the most, other than if I can catch certain actual league players when they're playing. Right, which I'll they're watch. sporadic. They, they're so sporadic, know, but I, I think I watch, yeah, Seagull's probably the Overwatch player I watch the most. But they played through multiple rounds of the PvE. It was just one one map. Uh, they, they only had four character choices to play in. Uh, their choices were May, Reinhardt, Lucio, and Tracer. So, and they played, it was co-op, so they played through like that. And what was interesting to me is they got, there were item drops where they got items that they could pick up and the items had, you know, green, they had commons and uncommons okay. and rares so and So, standard loot scheme. Standard loot scheming. Uh, and... The game had the regular mode, which is how they played through it originally, and it was pretty good, and it looked like a lot of fun, and it didn't look like it was too hard, and then they put it on expert mode, and they wiped, like instantly. Yeah. In the... There are co-op events that Blizzard does around holiday, you know, like yeah. Junkenstein's Revenge was the one that was still technically probably running yeah. until Tuesday or so, um, and... If you kick that up from normal, holy crap, does it get hard really fast. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, for farming arcade crates, I love normal because it's basically a guaranteed loot. You know, I can go through and win nine games in 90 minutes or something. Right. And be done for the week. And yeah. it's like, easy. Dumb. Hands are washed of it. But then it'll be like, there'll be an achievement. And I'll be like, oh, well, let's try doing this. And it's like, why did I, why did I think I could do, why did I think I was a pro? <laughs> what right. happened to me? So, yeah, no, it's. The games looked fun. They had had fun story elements throughout. Uh, specifically because I was watching Seagull. Seagull played most of the rounds as Lucio. And 
because they were starting as level one characters, they only had the level one options. Well, Siegel as Lucio had two options. He could choose one of them as a level one character. One of the options let his boop heal 25% of a friendly player's health if they bo- if he booped them. Oh, wow. They didn't go flying. They just got just healed. Just got boop health. They just health got boop. boop health. So now Lucio could do his passive healing and pocket somebody. Mm. The other option he had to choose from was whenever he amped whenever he amped it up, they would get speed and healing. Oh. But there were even more bonuses because he's playing on the missions. When you're playing on the missions, there's changes to your character's normal abilities. When you're playing in, like in the mission, your healing range was larger than mm. it is in PvP. Also, your speed increase was an attack speed increase as well. Oh, so he shot fat. Everyone could shoot faster. And Reinhardt swung Swap. for the fences mm. like you would not believe. And then later on, he played some May. And May's first two choices, uh, the first one uh, was when you drop into Ice Block, when you come out of Ice Block, it sends out a wave that freezes all the enemies around you. Mm. Wow. The other option was when you kill somebody who you've frozen, they shatter and it does AOE damage. Shards. Ouch. And yeah, both of them were really cool. And the actual, the story beats were fun. And I can see where it could have a lot of replayability. So I think the price is going to be the big push. Yeah. Well, because we'll see. I, I haven't, I haven't heard it, when it's coming out. Oh, so. right. There's that. The other thing is if you do upgrade, if you do go from Overwatch 1 to Overwatch 2, all of your cosmetics go with you. Yes. I did see about that. So you're not. So you don't have to refarm all your cool right. skins and stuff. Yeah, you, you you get to keep all your cool skins. You get to keep all that stuff you've dumped actual money on. So and that's part of the reason why that's smart. That part makes sense. Yeah. Now, when they did the PvP section, it showed off exclusively the new PvP style. The new PvP style uh, or, or game mode is obviously an esport game mode. Uh. You said you haven't watched any of it, so uh, I haven't seen it live. I saw the little segment in the gameplay trailer of Push, and, and my reaction, which you told me, don't worry, yeah. was that it looked like an escort mission to me, and that concerned me because everyone knows escort missions are the worst missions in any video game. It's not an escort mission. What it is is there is a push bot, whatever the fandom ends up calling it. Okay, I know seagulls. Uh, a chat was calling him Peter Pusher okay. because, you know, they got to be alliterative. But the push bot starts in the middle of the map and it is like a um, payload map. Okay. So the teams start on either side right. right, and they run towards the middle. Whichever team is has players and have control of the push bot, he turns and walks towards the enemy side and until he finds there's a big barricade. And he will push that barricade closer and closer and closer to the enemy's uh, starting point. And then when you get pushed off, uh, uh, when your, te- your team gets wiped out and pushed off of him, he'll turn around and go with the other team to push the barricade towards your thing. But the barricades never come backwards. They just move closer and closer. And there are checkpoints. And when your barricade, when you, when you escort him to the point where his barricade hits a checkpoint, it moves your spawn. Closer. So he's closer. And okay. then you keep pushing. So how is the winning decided? When the time expires, the team that has pushed their barricade the farthest wins. 
Mm. Or if you manage to push your barricade all the way to the final checkpoint, you instantly win. They had a match last less than three minutes. Okay. All right. So, yeah, this is interesting. So it's sort of like, as you noted, it sounds sort of like the payload maps, except you play both defense and offense. At the same time. At the same time. And that's my question. And why our, and my thought is that since this map is obviously designed for esports, which map type do you think is going to be, be massively reduced to put this into league play? 2CP. I think 2CP is gone. It's the most hated, it's the most hated map style and it takes forever. I think 2CP is completely fact, gone with this. In fact, uh, perhaps related. Perhaps coincidence, but an interesting telling coincidence. I read yesterday that for season 19 of competitive, Blizzard has said it is a renew- reduced map pool of 12 maps. Lunar Colony and Paris are both out and they're both 2CP. For those that don't know, 2CP means two capture points. Right. Uh, one team plays offense. They have a set period of time to try and claim point A and then point B. If they get point A, they get more points. It keeps track of progress in thirds as checkpoints. And then the other team goes and does their offense against the defense. And then, if, but if you get both within time, it goes on and there's another round and another round. I've seen it go as deep as eight and nine, I believe, at the professional level of, yeah. of a number of points claimed. And each round only has two points. So, yeah, I mean, three or four iterations. Yeah, that's, it's also, uh, broadly speaking, uh, most even casual players, least favorite map type. Yeah. I think I think all you're going to see left is going to be push and hybrid. I think it'll be the most commons. Right. Well, and control. I'm and sure. well, and control. And control was you know it's completely neutral. So some right. people love control, some people hate it. Right. But it's uh, it's seen as fair. It's it's the most balanced of everything. Right. I, that's and I think that's the whole purpose of push is to get rid of. Now, what's interesting is because it's this giant robot that pushes stuff. If you throw say a a, a Symmetra turret turret at it. It went through the robot and stuck to the barricade. Oh, okay. So it's physical. And if you jump on top of the robot, you fall off. Oh. You can't. He's slippery. Yeah. No, everything's set. So the robot itself might as well not exist. Okay. That he's there and he's pushing stuff, but you can't. You, you he's, can't. Not, he's basically symbolic. He's basically symbolic. Okay. And that could just be what was in the stage build. But I know when Siegel was playing, he was playing... Uh, just random characters. And at one point, he played Bastion. He just stood in front of the barricade and let the robot push the barricade. And the barricade pushed him as Bastion in turret form along the way as he just annihilated stuff. Hmm. So. Okay. It'll be interesting to see how. Especially for the heroes who have ults designed more around a more static. So, like, Hammond's Minefield. When your whole purpose is getting the robot to move. And what's in the thing is, is the robot actually push pushes pretty slow. It's payload speed. Okay. But when you have control and you're moving from the opposing barricade to your barricade, he jogs. He's quick. Mm. You can you can get it, it flips. It'll flip you and flip back and forth between the barricades pretty fast. Okay. Based upon his speed, so it'll be interesting to see. I think we're going to see a lot of it. I enjoyed what I what I saw of it. All right. I haven't seen anything of it in actual real life action yet. So I have to reserve judgment. We'll see. I don't, you know, I don't know if Blizzard will bring itself to drop the two CP maps out. I mean, cause they've still been releasing two CP maps. Paris is a new map. Yeah. So I don't know. But if I, if they were to get rid of one, that would be the one to do. 
Maybe they'll put it so that that's like two CP is the tiebreaker. So you just which rare, would make sense. Rarely see it. Yeah, that would help control for it. Uh, anything else from BlizzCon you wanted to touch on? Not really, because like I don't play a lot of Warcraft. I don't play a lot of. I don't play any of those. So I just kind of paid a little bit of attention to those just to get the highlights. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and transition to our episode 100 segment where we talk about yeah so i put in tony and i have our own notes so he sees i i've listed some things to go through i, I do want to go and provide a shirt update one of the things we were hoping to do was on this episode announce a new uh, eclectic gamers podcast t-shirt that would be available for purchase unfortunately there were some delays with our with our artist and we, our project had to be pushed back so even though we had uh, try, made the arrangement months ago, it just wasn't able to work out. Uh, instead of changing artists, I did find out right after episode 99 that we're back on the schedule. It sounds like we'll probably be, assuming no other delays, getting started with that work at the end of this month. So I'm hoping by the new year we'll have it. Yeah. So we're sticking with that because it's not, we weren't going to brand it or theme it to episode. Yeah, we weren't doing specific. anything. Yeah. It's just thought it was just something we thought would be fun to do because we only really have the one design, the the main logo, which we're, we're not changing the main logo. So right, it was just for it was just for funsies. So anyway, FYI, that's in the works, and we'll next speak about it when we actually have something to reveal. So we're in episode 100. So we noted at the very start of the segment, we've been doing this a long time now. With one exception, we've always essentially done an every other week format uh, within two or three days. Right. You know, usually There's on Sundays. There's always Sat- a little flip. Yeah. I mean, usually on Sundays, followed by Saturdays. And we've deviated from that by as far as two days before. But I think we did a Friday once. Yeah. And I think we did a Tuesday one time after TPF. And, yeah, right. You know, we've yeah. done things like that. That's, yeah. It was like know, a Monday or But Tuesday. they're almost always planned. So we always say, oh, yeah, by the way. The next episode will be out. I mean, other than it, we don't care if it's a Saturday or Sunday. We'll do whatever weekend yeah. day works for us because we figure you guys don't care. Um, so given that we've done this for a while, I thought we could just sort of share some thoughts broadly on the show without being, again, as I noted at the top, not delving it really into the analytics. But so the one I wanted to start with is the one that I'm always reminded of every time I put on a podcast shirt. Tony's wearing his podcast shirt. Uh, from round three of our podcast, the orange shirts. I'm wearing round one. Uh, the blue shirt. The blue shirt. Complete coincidence. It was what was ready in the drawer to be pulled out and worn. Yep. I, 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 that's all. I just yep. reached into the closet and just grabbed, pulled the shirt. Yep. So um, it was now, I think, just under two years ago <laughs> where we formally decided to drop the tabletop gaming segment as as a regular segment. And now it's an ad hoc segment where we talk about board games when we have stuff to talk about instead of trying to drive and cover any news in it explicitly. So in terms of show format, that's really easily the biggest one we ever made was to shift away from doing the tabletop every single episode. Right now. Tabletop was kind of your baby. It was. And the fact of the matter is, and the reason it went away is I wasn't playing very much tabletop anymore because I didn't have the time to do everything because I added the pinball in that took up the time slots that I used to use oh, that for tabletop stuff. That's true. Cause- and I just wasn't going to go play like I used to. And I wasn't long before. I'd already quit long before we started the podcast. I wasn't doing my weekly tabletop wargaming anymore. So it just made sense to have that switch. Because I was trying to force too much stuff in that it's like... Well, here's a game I heard about, but I've not played, and I doubt I'll right, ever right. play. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. 
that was the, and that was always my struggle is because other than at like game nights, I very rarely would play a lot of tabletop and board games. And so given that I wasn't up on any of the news. Right. And it was the way it would work is with the video game stuff, you know, we both follow video games to varying degrees. And since that transition away from the tabletop, you actually feed in most of the video game stuff and building out the segment plan, whereas I put in most of the pinball stuff. Right. And so the work, the workload got a lot easier after that shift. Yeah. And we still do cover tabletop when it's something you know about. Yeah. When it's something we, either me or you or both of us have actually experienced. Like when we went back, um, we didn't do it this year, but I think it was last year when we went to CantCon and we played bunches of our, we played RPGs mm-hmm. and all yep. that. And I, I loved that. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go this year for, because I was on call. I'd like to go next year. Yeah. And I think that was in conflict with Carrie's pinball tournament that yeah. I went to. So, right. Cause I remember the prior year was in conflict and I did CantCon and then, right. Or two priors. Yeah. One of, one I of those. I at least tried. I mean, I like that because that's my one time to actually play like straight up pen and paper, roll the dice mm, RPGs. Right. And as much as I miss playing like board games and stuff, the more I play RPGs when I get a chance to, the more I really miss playing RPGs. Right. Right. I just I don't have I don't have a local group. I don't have a whole lot of time, so. Yeah. I, I haven't been able to do it. Life is hard. Life I know. is hard. It's so, it's, it's so all this, just, just like with our upcoming, uh, on the eighth at the pinball tournament, I'm going to be late because I've got yeah. family stuff that yeah. takes priority, which is, it takes priority because it's the priority. But, right. But I mean, I, that's one of those things that just fell just wrong. And it's the same way with anything else is it's hard to pull stuff together when everything falls wrong and there's more important things that get in the way. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I think that the show has done well with that transition. Is Yeah. So given that, I think it, it made a lot of sense. Logistically, it just made a lot of sense for us. Yeah. Um. So let's go more into the just talking about uh, particulars. So and the one I wanted to start with was... What is the favorite episode that we ever did? And the one I, I've noted down was, I could broadly just say the E3 episodes. If I want to be really specific, it'd probably be episode 37, which was our E3 2017, because that was the one where we had five people here. Oh, that one, that one was. That was the one where we had, we had, uh, we had, uh, Mike and Eric and Jake and you and me. And the reason why I liked it was just how I'll use the word passionate people got at certain points. I, so I know I'm mostly associated with covering pinball on this show and that I, when I participate on other shows, it's always pinball, pinball, Dennis is a pinball thing. It's like, yes, that's true. But that's why it makes me sad to see that so many of the publishers moving away from E3 because E3, I just, I always really like the E3 segment because that's when people just get pissed about stuff and I know. Then they get excited about things. And then you see there's always just these major facepalm moments about like, what were they thinking at E3 to do this? And then there's the awesome stuff and you can fanboy about all of it. And so that's why I just, it's just a lot of fun because the discussion's so good. We always have at least one guest on when we do E3 and that helps a whole lot. Uh, to get a different perspectives. You know, we had another year where we had Dawn on. Um, and it's like, I just, I relate. So that, that would be it. I would say 
honestly, the E3 episodes are probably, as a whole, my favorite episodes. I think my singular favorite episode was our Jack Danger episode. I wondered if you'd name that one. That was way back. That was our first year. It was, but we nerded, but we nerded out on Overwatch mm-hmm. so hard. And I, that was before I even played it. it it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was probably my favorite. We've had some great interviews and some really good discussions, but between that and the E3 episodes. Okay. Uh, well, the next one I was going to say is for us to pick what our least favorite episode was. And for me, it's a fairly recent one. This would be episode 82, Solo Dennis. Solo Dennis. This is, I had compliments on this one, but... Oh God, I did not like it. I, it was so weird. Um, I didn't like how I paced. I went really, really fast. I, I didn't even get 30 minutes into that episode before I had covered everything. I know I talk fast as it is, but mm-hmm. when I'm by myself and I'm just rattling off and I'm talking into the microphone and trying to talk to the listener, it was just really weird. It felt unnatural to me and it only reinforced to me why I don't have any interest in doing a solo podcast. Least favorite episode. I mean, the reality is that one would probably count because... Well, that was another one you weren't on either. That right, right. But this was the one, if I remember right, I wasn't on this one because of family medical issues. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So that's why that one wouldn't count. It's not because I wasn't on. It was because of the reasons I wasn't on. Right. Because there, an- there was another one I wasn't on, but that one was planned in advance yes where this one was like not you're right but i don't really hate any of the episodes i said that's why i said least favorite not hated i didn't hate how episode 82 turned out i just it wasn't it was my least fun one i think it would have to be probably one of one of the first three or four episodes where i really realized my verbal tics hmm and it's just because the verbal takes made me mad at myself. Because I don't really dislike any of them. I know there's been a couple where I wasn't feeling real good when we did them. And I felt like you could tell it because I was off. But I've not really had one that I didn't like. Okay. Well. Or didn't at least have a that, good time that's, doing. That's fair. That's fair enough. Uh, my next, my next category was going to be what was the hardest episode to do, and I'm going to totally cop out and say, "Oh, that's easy. That's episode one." No, okay. Just because there was so much prep work that had to go into episode one beyond anything we've ever had to face again. Because, and on my end, it wasn't just recording the show and editing the show, but it was also figuring out where we were going to host it, figuring out how to do the RSS feed, and. Because we did not know if we were going to just experiment with this or do it for a while, we paid nothing. We went, yeah, we went all in with zero dollars. I had found a guide on how to be able to use Google Drive. Google Drive changed their approach, but you used to be able to use Google Drive and share the files in a certain way that you could then use a Google RSS feed feed burner, which we still actually use Mm -hmm. uh, because it was our first feed and, uh, get that out there as an RSS using WordPress to actually build the, and so our website on WordPress, I still, even to this day, while I just laundry list as blog posts, the episodes uh, and have our other supporting pages about like our 20 questions games and our tournaments we've played and stuff. I actually still tag 
all of that stuff in the blog post exactly as I did the first time so that if I ever have to use it as the RSS source again, I can. Hmm. I I still go in and I maintain it that same exact way. But just all of that stuff and all of the research involved, episode one was easily the biggest headache. I mean, the next one was probably around episode 15 when we had to do the transition to SoundCloud. But comparatively, like... Not that, even when we transitioned away from, like, the Zencaster when we started using other things? No, I've, I'm going to have some stuff that I'm going to okay. bring up that's going to... I have... Uh, there were issues with that, but just in terms of sheer difficulty, actually, just with the ignorance about how audio works and how to get it out there in a way that people consume it through podcatchers... All of that was the hard of all the stuff I've ever had to do. It was the most to have to do at once about things I didn't already know. So I had to learn them. On the plus side, I had to learn a lot, which I like to do. But, but all of it all at once, there was just a lot. It was just, it was the hardest, not the worst, but it was the hardest. Like you, not the worst because I actually enjoyed how it turned out. And I enjoyed the discussions that came out of it. But the actual hardest for me was talking about my Robotech burn. Oh, we got a lot of praise on that episode, too, because it, like, it was, it, it you, was, you went for an hour on that topic, I believe. I could have gone for three if I'd let the rage out. Mm. I mean, I, I tried to keep everything on the timeline and controlled. I, I was pretty, I'm still upset about it. Mm. Uh, but. It, that was the hardest for me just because it was a matter of trying to balance the telling the story and what happened and the facts and everything without letting my actual annoyance override that was my, was what made that episode hard to me. Okay. That makes sense. Well, it was really, I mean, that was probably the most detailed structured notes that I've seen. I mean, because you had an entire outline to walk yeah. through that time and it was paragraphs of notes. Yeah. Because normally I, I am a bullet point. I'm a bullet point. Well, that's point how I tend person. to do it too. I just, uh, just uh, throw in a few bullets and, but, but with that one, there was just so much spread over so many years. And I knew as I went through it, I would get so upset that I had to build mm. a very That's thick interesting. and detailed. I had, yeah. I forgot. I had not. That it makes sense, and it hadn't crossed my mind. Yeah, yeah. That would when, okay. that that was yeah, the that obvious would be one to okay. me. That was yeah. the hardest one to me. All right. Well, now I want to go through uh, what I call the tales of woe. <laughs> so, when did things go wrong? I can't remember this episode. This is one where we were recording remotely from each other, which we used to do quite often. Right. And it was the one where your wife ran the dishwasher. There was more than one of those, but there was the, one where it was the, very the bad. first time where the dishwasher was on, and I really, <laughs> I just remember at the time we were recording, I didn't think anything of it, anything mm-hmm. of it at all. I actually went and I edited the episode in a different way than I had before. Normally, this game really into the weeds for folks. <laughs> Normally, when I edit an episode, what I do is I'll take this audio. I take any audio I have. I go in. I run a compression and dynamics tool on it to level out the sounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything's balanced. And that's how, that's how you don't sound like total crap. And one person sounds really quiet and the other sounds really, really loud. When you have two separate tracks, it works really, really well. When we're doing like we are right now, where we're both at the same table, my, we're on one track. So what I have to do is work really hard to make sure our levels are close on our microphones from the get go. Right. But then the, 
I still run compression dynamic. I always run it. Always run it. I did run it on that episode. I did my editing first and then ran it. Like I cut, made my cuts and cleaned up like the uhs and anything, the blank spaces and stuff like that. Normally I would do the compression, then go through, play little chunks, listen. So what happened was the dishwasher was too low in the audio waveform before compression and dynamics were run for me to hear. But then I ran it after I got done making the edits. So then it became audible to the human being. And I uploaded it. (laughs) And I went out for a walk. And I was listening to the episode. Because that's what I I try and do is go back and listen and be like, okay, I need to work on my verbal text. So I'm trying to see how many times I click, which I do a lot. Yeah. And say, uh, as I think. I do that My normal stuff. My normal stuff. (laughs) And I'm trying to improve on it. So I listen back to, to try and get better. And I'm hearing this, I'm like, what is that? And it's like, oh, no, no, that, yeah, that's the dishwasher. Because you told me the dishwasher was on. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, yeah, the dishwasher's on. Because I could have run noise reduction on it. Right. And that's what I had done before. And it was really loud and really noticeable. And it went for a really long time. <laughs> so I actually had started to like speed walk. Back home, <laughs> had to go back in, re-edit, and re-post that audio. Now, with SoundCloud, it's not a big deal. It's you can I can do an audio swap, and I've done it before on a couple other episodes, because this is the first time I ever did. Yeah. And I had to actually pull a file and replace it with a new fresh one. And I and I was so upset because I still had dozens of people had already downloaded it. And at that time, I mean, now at this point. Um, cause I had to do a, I didn't edit on the last episode and I got it edited like within four hours or something. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that beat most of the downloads, but we'd already had a hundred. So, right. but back then even, I'd be like, no, 20 people have heard the dishwasher. No. no. So that well, was one of my tale, bad, my woe, my, my, one of my woe moments. Well, I think the reason we record in person like we do now is because of stuff like that. And since. I don't have a space that's a non-communal space at home mm-hmm. that whenever we recorded, we would basically, to try and get clean stuff, I would basically lock my wife and children they in their throw, rooms. threw them out of their house or locked them in the room While we recorded, and it, it always made things, you know, rough on them, and we got, and I got to a point, we had one episode where we had... We had a guest. I don't remember who it was, but we had a we, we had a guest. And between the pre-show, the recording, and the post-show uh, chatting, I think we ran like four and a half hours. Mm. And she was so mad at me. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. That's what... she was perfectly right to be mad. I mean, they were still coming and getting, but they were trying to be quiet. Yeah, even with the with the with the the doors shut, so it was still. Oh, it was just terrible. That's why we record in person, mm-hmm. and 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 it's a lot of it has to do with. Honestly, it's a lot easier to record when you can see the other person. Oh yeah, the uh, the the discussion actually flows a lot better because we don't have a delay right. with the sound or anything. Now, I and do so- wonder if we'd be okay because when we recorded, we never recorded with video. We always just did straight audio That's records. true. So yeah. I wonder if we... Because we were using Zencaster. Right. I wonder if we did an actual video record uh, or, you know, Skype. Even when we've done since then, we've done some like that where we've used Skype. 
not very often, but it's happened on occasion. We've always done audio only. And I still wonder if video would make yeah, it. We can easier, try that sometime. But, That's a good point. Cause we both have webcams. It's not a big deal, but at no point does that solve the fact that I have to lock my family yes. away yes. for the duration of a recording. Yes. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's and, a, and the safe rule on the recording is two to three hours. Yes. And normally when we do it in person, yeah. I mean, our record times are usually. Around 90 minutes is right. what we typically do. We're going long today, but we had a lot of BlizzCon stuff and we have this. So. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Another woe moment I remember is actually your cited favorite episode, the Jack Danger episode, episode 16. Oh, yes. Now, Tony and Jack had a great discussion for that episode that you all got to hear. I had a great discussion, too. Unfortunately, at least 12 minutes of my audio was lost. So, because we were using Zencaster, and at the time, I w- had an older desktop computer, and it would lag. And we didn't know what the source problem right. was, because I was the one always capturing the audio. So, at first, I thought it was something with a connection, or maybe it was someone else's connection. And anyway, so for the episode with Jack, we went through, and one of the things we used to do with Zencaster to make sure that the audio would be okay is after 30 minutes, we started to one of the scenarios. And I think it was because of my system, but it always affected Tony's audio mm-hmm. was he started to become really digitized, digitized. Like, right, like, like you're speaking through some sort of compression, yeah. like a codec was running on your audio and you were, you were flying the battle stars. <laughs> and, and, and if you want to hear it, go and listen to like the last 10 minutes of episode two, because that published episode real bad has it and i just put a disclaimer on it and we put it out there because we were new um so anyway we would stop every 30 minutes and start a new audio record through zencaster and i was losing my end like i'd lose like a couple minutes on one a couple on another but i i think the second track that we did i lost eight or nine minutes out of my audio and so for that one, for what I did for that episode is I just had to do edits, tighten it up, mostly keep the conversation between Jack and Tony. And there were a few instances where I remembered what I said and I would redub myself back <laughs> in, basically saying the same thing I had originally in order to be like, Oh yeah, Dennis is in this conversation. And this was during a pinball segment too. So that one you'll be like, wow, Dennis is awfully quiet on episode 16. I wasn't originally, but I mean, it worked out later on where it's like, oh, it was Overwatch and I wasn't contributing anything, but oh gosh, what a mess. So that was one of my other woe moments. So I think most of, I, I think my one woe moment actually was like nine episodes worth of woe moment mm. type things pulled together. Uh, other issues I can think of is, and most of them, they're, they're woe moments that the audience never hear. Is when I'm doing stuff when I don't think about it, and I like grab my water bottle and crush it oh, in the no. middle while I'm talking. Oh. Yeah, that's happened a few times. Yeah, he remembers um, that one because I swore. Yeah, <laughs> I said, "Are, are, are you <laughs> eating?" Because I thought I heard a candy wrapper <laughs> or chips. Yeah, and there was another podcast I used to listen to, and I had to stop listening to them for six months because the one of the hosts ate ice cream on the air, and I. The spoon was hitting the bowl. And I was just like, yeah, I just, I just lost. I just flipped my lid. And I was like, what sort of disrespect to the audience is this crap? And I turned them off and unsubscribed. Right. And, and see, a lot of this, because when we were recording separately, and as I, and that was shortly after I got this microphone, because before that, I'd been using a headset with a headset right. microphone. Right. 
And then I got this new night, the, the, this newer one. And the thing is, is I, um, especially in that kind of situation where there was nobody there and my whole family was locked up and, <laughs> and, and I was just, just sitting there on the side of the house, on my side of the house, I would, and with nothing to look at except for the notes and talking and listening and talking, I fidget. I would fidget with stuff. Just like when I'm on the phone at work, I've got a pad for taking notes that is covered in bloody doodles all around the notes I take because the whole time I fidget. Mm. And that was another issue I had. I mean, Dennis is saying I talk with my hands all the time. It's something I do. And, but when we were recording, I just fidgeted with stuff. Sometimes I would spin a quarter in my hands and it would occasionally get dropped. And sometimes I would, you know, have a pen and I would start clicking it just without thinking. And there's always stuff like that. But Dennis has been real good and gotten to hide the vast majority of my insanities. Well, I used to. I I spend things a lot, too. And then that's why I'll then say, oh, drop my pen. That's what because why do I have the pen in my hand? I'm not needing to write anything right now. It's in my hand right now. So I'm putting the pen back down. Um. Another woe moment, uh, episode 60, when we had Ryan C. on as our guest. We used Zencaster. That was the last time we used Zencaster. Audio sync issue. Yeah. So I had essentially all of his audio, all of our audio. We recorded through Zencaster, which is a, a tool which I, I was, we used to use a lot. And then it started to have these sync issues. Zencaster sent out a note indicating that they resolved the issue with Chrome. That Chrome, basically what was happening is almost like a memory leak, I think was the problem. Right. But Chrome, they they basically rebuilt their engine and Chrome could do it. And we had used it a couple of times between ourselves and we had no problems. But I don't know if it was because my system was so taxed because we recorded locally and then Zencast it in with Ryan or, or what happened doesn't really matter. But what did matter was I got the two audio tracks and they did not align. And we're not talking like, oh, Ryan's three seconds ahead. So I just need to chop three seconds, you know, off and then I'll have them balanced. What was happening with this Zencaster issue, uh, to get technical in a way, well, no, technical would be me using the right terms. Essentially, one of the audio elements, and I think it was our audio, was actually occasionally getting, uh, little, excuse me, little bits dropped. Mm-hmm. Very, very, I mean, we're talking like little, like clipping almost, where it'd be like a little part of a word would be away. And, but <laughs> you but, do that really well. Yeah. Except most of the time it had, it affected generally the silence. So when I play it, I'd hear all our words. It was clipping it out, clipping out portions of our track when there was no audio coming in. Almost always. There were a few instances where I did hear it. I know because I had to replay it really slowly. Because what I ended up having to do is rebuild that entire segment by hand. I didn't have to re-record anything. I actually had to sit there and play both tracks and then realize when it would start to get off again and insert silence to balance out us versus Ryan so that we were no longer talking over each other. That episode, I think, took over five hours for me to do that. It was like twice the length of the episode for me to actually go through and build it. I had to manually build it, balance the tracks out by hand constantly Yeah, through the entire thing. I could never just go, oh, I'm now good. Because 
you'd only be good for a stretch of 30 seconds to two minutes. And then it would just be too bad again. And I have to add a little more time in to Ryan. So he's, or to us, so that our little clipped elements were now back in line with what his responses were. But it's hard because sometimes like if you're passionate on something, you are talking over each other and that needs to stay. And you, and I can't remember anymore because it was only one take <laughs> and it was hours worth of stuff. So. Anyway, that was that was awful. That was my worst edit job I ever had to do. The Jack Danger one was easy because right. it was like I'm just gone, so uh, there ain't nothing to fix. <laughs> there, I there's nothing to manipulate or massage. This was constant, and I've never used Zencaster ever again because it's not worth it. That was just it was just devastating. Ugh, what a mess. Yeah, no, I can definitely understand that. We pretty much. Got completely away from it mm-hmm. before that even, but that was yeah. the that was the final straw. The only other they still exist, yeah, yeah, it does. I still have it bookmarked. Uh, the only other thing I had in terms of a woe thing of things really going wrong that stuck with me is when we started recording locally, we use a virtual mixing board called Voice Meter. I think the first three episodes we did with that, my sound was bad. I was constantly clipping like. Like if you were to yell in a microphone and you go, you know, you blow the mic out. Right. I was constantly doing it and I couldn't figure out why because the meters and voice meter were always looking good and I should have tested it more. And I just, I had to keep apologizing for the episode, but there was nothing to be, I couldn't fix it because the Microsoft, it was just, it was peaked out. Like you'd have to re-record it. Right. Um, ultimately I finally figured it out because I wasn't, I didn't have the level where I wanted it in voice meter. I used the voice meter gain control slider to increase my gain on my microphone. And yours was good, so I left yours alone. And no. So even though it looked okay in voice meter, by sliding that gain up, I was actually just blowing out the mic constantly. But I couldn't see it visually. It wasn't showing it in the red. Right. I don't know why it wasn't showing it that way. But once I took it back to the default and then just adjusted my gain on my microphone, because my, my microphone, you can adjust it in software, but my microphone also has a knob and I just turned that up. Fine. That was it. Hmm. This is the one thing with, so I never touch the gain meters on our microphones and voice meter. I have done it to adjust virtual sound coming in. Right. Which I can hear because I could turn it on and hear it through my headset, but I don't with the microphones. So that was it for whoa stuff. Time to get, time to get a physical. Soundboard. You know, it wouldn't be a bad idea. But I, I, I've bid on several in auction, but they're just even. They're just they're expensive. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. Everything's pricey. Yeah, and we don't have no Patreon. We get we get by with what we can do. We do what we can. So uh, the last thing I thought I would do is to counter our tales of woe or the tales of wow. So when things have gone really, really right, when we talked about wow. Yeah, and. I yes, <laughs> yes. We we have yeah, actually it was we a pretty good and it was a pretty good discussion the last time. It we was. Did. Um for me, what I guess I would note, and this is the only thing that really flirts with analytics, was the show upticks. That was always the nice thing to see. And having done this for a hundred episodes, we've always been um a fairly slow burn podcast. And as we expected, you know, when we started it before we started it, Tony and I spoke about it, and we knew that by being eclectic and saying, we're going to talk about board games, video games, pinball games, that we were, we were divvying up our topics and podcasts thrive on being specialists. So, Valid. I mean, so like 
There are lots of really, really popular podcasts about video games. There are lots of really, really popular podcasts about PlayStation video games, Nintendo video games. And the broader you make your thing, the less people it's going to appeal to, in particular, if you're going into different niche realms, which right. is what we were doing. It's like, how many people who are in the pinball hobby also love to play video games? A decent number, but not as many as who just want to hear about pinball. Right. And so, but we're like, but we want to talk about that stuff. So that's what we did. And so I'm swinging my pen around again. And uh, so given that, normally as we've gone along and kept doing it, the listener numbers have gone up as you would probably expect them to. But we've had a few instances where they kind of like all of a sudden leaped up and then stayed up. So little surges. And there were three that I, I even went back and looked because I was like, I kind of remembered them. And I was like, it, it gets a little weird for us because I don't have good analytics for the first 15 episodes because we moved from, right, from Google to SoundCloud. We had basically no analytics before we were on SoundCloud. Um, but our first surge was actually thanks to Don who was with the pinball podcast. That was the first time I am aware of that another podcast ever mentioned our podcast existing. And I think our listener count, we were really low back then, but I think it more than doubled because right after he mentioned us right. on, on their show that we were covering pinball and talking about this other stuff. So that was our first big, big sort of wow moment. It was like, holy crap. And that I was like, that was like when we broke 50, 50 people. It's like, whoa, people are listening. Why would they do that? Um, then the second surge, then it just kept going up a uh, nice, steady little incline, no real surges. And the second surge was early last year after the deep root interview. So apparently now the deep root interview where we had Robert Mueller on, right. and that was the first audio interview. I think he did, uh, about deep root pinball. That's easily our most downloaded episode still. Which makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because a lot of people would normally listen to the podcast were like, oh, I want to hear about this. I want to hear about uh, people smashing playfields with a hammer and right. all that. You know, it was an inter- it was interesting. Stuff. It was an interesting topic. Um, in fact, one of our iTunes reviews specifically mentions that interview in their review. So, um, so anyway, after that, a lot of people apparently just stuck with the show after that because that was a big, I mean, that was like over a hundred permanent gain. That's that. a so that was a big surge game. for us. Yeah. That's a big surge. And then the third surge, um, happened, I guess that was, yeah, I don't even know exactly when it gets a little weird. Uh, but, um, it seemed to be after I started doing the Twip podcast, I don't think right away, but when I started to do it more recurring, but not quite at the every other week. And I guess some people thought, I'm assuming what happened was they wanted to know what it would be like to listen to a real show <laughs> that wasn't just a bunch. Of drama. <laughs> it's like, what is Dennis like? They want to listen. They want oh, something yeah. more want, than just the morning I, DJ right. version I wanted, of I wanted to know, pinball. I, right. I think it was someone who wanted to listen and, and go, what would it be like if Dennis had a show where he didn't have to spend the whole time fighting with Zach about obvious stuff? <laughs> and so then they can go and they listen. In fact, as you know, we had an email to our EGP email account from Dwight Sullivan. I'm assuming the Stern Pinball Dwight Sullivan. Actually, I know because the email said it was from Stern, <laughs> where he said, you are less wrong than Zach. So um, you see, it's a very different dynamic. That's my biggest goal in life. And it's a pretty easy goal. It in is. All honesty. It is. It is. <laughs> so, so those were my wow things. Um, were there any, I don't know, episodes that you thought were real? I mean, you already named your favorite, but anything right. about it's that? Li- it's not an episode. The people who come up to you at TPF. It's the sheer number of people that I've heard. I recognize that voice. Mm. And it's one thing when it, we're at a local event. 
But that first year specifically at TPF, that was a very big thing that people like, I recognize that voice. And they'd come up and ask me. That was my wow moment because that's like, why would you recognize me? But, yeah. I mean. But you're, I mean, you're known. And Your people, voice is and known. And even now, I mean, because you're in the pinball community and almost everything we do is do is in within the pinball community. Right. And that's our, and that's chiefly, I would say, because what our analytics do tell us is most of the listeners are pinball people. Right. Uh, and which makes sense. I mean, our video game coverage is video games that we're There's interested in. There's so many in. professionals who are covering right. video games. We'll never do the news as good as IGN right. and Game Informer. And I don't want to do the news because those guys, they do the news about, so I literally just want to talk about the video games I like. It's the same way. It's, it's not within our wheelhouse, but if we did a, a secondary podcast that was all about like movies and TV, We'd be really good at that, though. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. That would be. We would, we would, we'd be we, awesome. We, we would be pretty awesome because we talk about that all the time. But, but I mean, that's the target of things. So when we go to conventions, yes, we went to CanCon. Nobody recognized me at CanCon except for the people who already knew me from tabletop and and playing games and stuff. Uh, for me, CanCon is a lot is just a based around you know having a good time and mm-hmm. playing stuff that I don't get to do very often. But then when we go to uh, Texas, when TPF is the big thing, I mean, that's our big thing that we do as a group of friends. That's our big friend vacation. Is, is we, we go, we, is we go to TPF and it's a lot of fun and it's all pinball related. So that's all there, but it was still, to me, it felt so different because it was like, right. It's like you're, listen, you're a part of, you're a part same. of a community that you're not physically in or, because outside of the KC competitive scene, you don't, physically interact with all these people are at texas well right and the and i think the other big part of it's why it's so shocking to me is because (laughs) where you interact with the pinball community at large quite a lot i don't Mm. i don't i know i do i I know you you do locally i do locally but at large it's just like i mean i post when i think about it stuff on social media and on the facebook but it's not something I normally think about. Mm. It's not something that I really get overly involved in. That's why our social media is basically, oh, we're going to TPF. Now there's a bunch of gluttonous TPF stuff, and it's probably going to be gone until next year when we go to TPF again. But it's one of those situations where I just don't really think about it, and I don't interact with the wider group like you do because I spend so much of my time uh, concentrating on you know family and work and, and, and stuff like that. And my, all my other interests, uh, I've never dived into the, you know, Penn side and, and all the Facebook groups and except for the local Kansas City groups. Uh, so when I get out there and there's like, it's like, okay, hi, yeah, nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, da, da, da. Oh, yeah, I remember that episode. People are, it's like, it was a very different thing. It was a very wild moment mm. for me. Yeah. We're not entertainers by natural disposition. So it's, def- no. it's weird yeah. in a way. And I'd heard other, I've heard other podcasters mention it where it's like people, they'll know things about you and you'll have forgotten that you said them on air. Yeah. That happens a lot to me. That does. So especially, I, you know, get messages or people who add me on Facebook and I'll get a note, which is, which is fine. I don't. Right. Know. It's like, okay. I have a lot of those sort of conversations, but then sometimes we're like, yeah, but you mentioned this. I'm like, when did I say that? And why did I say it? Who knows? But anyway, uh, yeah, it's gone pretty well. Uh, and that's all I have for. Episode 100, to say. That's all I got to say about that. I apologize. For what? 
not having more to say about that. I think we said enough. Yeah, we're actually, we did. I'm going to probably get this edited down under two hours, but we are past the two hour mark. Yeah, that, that's definite. So, that, yeah, I saw that. Um, I knew this episode would go long. As a reminder, we are on the Eclectic underscore Gamers channel on Twitch streaming Casey GameCon on Saturday the 9th. The ninth, yes. The eighth, the, the ninth. Eighth. I think it's the it's the ninth. It's the ninth because I it's think the, the eighth is the, eighth the first is day of the event, right? Um, if so, you are in Kansas City, we will be at Kansas City Game Con on both the eighth and the ninth, I believe. Right, eighth, ninth. It's it runs eighth, ninth, and tenth, I believe. So. I'll be there on the eighth and the ninth. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know if I'll be there for sure on the tenth or not. Uh, but we'll be streaming a lot on the ninth, obviously, because that's when the tournament right. is. Tournament is sold out. I think they're running some other tournaments on the tenth that might be available. Um, yeah, they were talking about some side tournaments. Right, right. But we're not planning to stream that. We'll, we'll no. stream the we'll stream the real tournament like we like to do. Uh, so we'll have that. So feel free to tune in via t- Twitch uh, to see that. If you want to write into the show, you can always email us eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We're also available at facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as eclectic underscore gamers. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, undoubtedly talking about Casey GameCom is at least part of that conversation. You would assume so. And other than that, uh, I'll see y'all next time. This is Dennis. And Tony. Goodbye. See ya.